Good morning. I think this is the time where I'm supposed to say something about time change, and I do have a thought. For those of you who like to get up early and earlier and get going right into the day, I'm sure there are treatment programs for you. <laughs> for the rest of us, it only hurts for a few days, and then we get to enjoy all of the sunlight in the afternoons. We are continuing a series that Brian started last week about miracles. And we're going to be looking at another miracle in John this week. Last week, Brian talked to us about the wedding in Cana, where Jesus turned water into the most fabulous wine possible. And that was the first miracle that he did. And when I think about miracles, I'm reminded of a story my mom used to tell. Uh, my mom was a little girl during the Depression, and like most of America, they were very poor. And she told me she used to go to bed at night, and she'd tuck all in, but some nights... She'd slip her hand out of the covers, and she'd pray that God would put a piece of candy into her hand. <laughs> Now, that miracle never happened, and Mom said she realized later that if she had woken up one day with a piece of candy in her hand, it would have been more like terrified rather than, ooh, hashtag blessed. So probably a good thing that it didn't happen. Today we're going to be in the book of John. We're going to be in chapter 4, and you can get there and join us in reading those scriptures. You can use the... Where is it? QR code if it's up there to scan, or if you've got a Bible app or a paper Bible. If you don't have a paper Bible, uh, analog, manual Bible, and you'd like to have one, we have them available. Just stop at the Welcome Center. We'd love to give one to you. There is something significant about turning those pages and finding that place and highlighting it for yourself. And we'd like for you to enjoy that experience if you'd like to. Now, the miracle we're going to talk about today, there's several scriptures leading up to it, several verses, and we're going to look at each of them to really get the setting so that when we see the miracle, we really understand what's going on. And it's not just trivial information. Part of the reason that John gives us this detail is that it's part of the arc of the whole story. These aren't just like little snippets, little short stories from Jesus' life. There's a theme and a continuance. So we're going to stop along the way and ask some questions about what we're reading. So when we get to the miracle towards the end, we all really understand what's happening. So here we are in John 4, 43. At the end of two days, Jesus went to Galilee. Two days where? Two days doing what? Well, if we look earlier in chapter 4, we see that Jesus was in Samaria for several days. Now, the Samaritans are really interesting because if you go back far enough in history, the Samaritans and the Jews were the same people group. But as time moved on, choices were made and consequences had that divided them into two separate nations, two separate people groups. And not only were they divided, they detested each other. So Jesus, a Jew, went into Samaria and he spent days there teaching. You may remember the story, he met a woman at the well, and he told her everything that she had ever done in her life. She was so amazed by this, she went into town and told the town people, you have got to come see this guy. And Jesus spent two days there with them, teaching them, telling them about himself and that he was the living water, the source of life. So that's where he's been for two days. But now he's coming down to Galilee. Galilee is back into the Jewish area of the um, countryside. Verses 44 and 45. He himself had said, 
that a prophet is not honored in his own hometown, yet the Galileans welcomed him, for they had been in Jerusalem at Passover celebration and had seen everything he did there. Okay. Jesus did, in fact, say this. The prophet's not honored. When Jesus began his ministry, he was not recognized for what he was. He was not accepted. His teaching not really believed by the people in his hometown who had seen him grow up there, nor really the Jewish people who had seen other men declare themselves to be prophets, and it hadn't really come to fruition, and certainly not by the religious leadership. They had no interest in seeing Jesus as the Messiah or the giver of life or anything like that. So indeed, Jesus had said, they're not welcomed in their own country. But we just saw him welcomed in Samaria. We just saw that these non-Jewish people were very interested in hearing him. They were very willing to accept him. And so Jesus is giving us sort of that continuance of the story. Now, it says that they had seen what happened on Passover. What happened on Passover? Passover, of course, is a a Jewish celebration uh, that's commemorating when Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt and set them free from their bondage under the Egyptians. It's celebrated every year. It continues to be celebrated by faithful Jewish people. Passover and our Easter are tangled together time-wise, so we celebrate them at about the same time. And Jesus had been at the temple for Passover. And when he got there, what he saw upset him, and that's to say it mildly. Rather than the temple being this place of prayer, this place of rejoicing and thanking God for what he had done at Passover, offering sacrifices to that, it had been taken over by people who were selling the animals that were used for sacrifices, but you could only buy those animals in temple money. So then there were money changers who took your regular money and changed it into temple money and made a profit right there in the middle. And Jesus saw that rather than allowing people into the temple to worship and make their sacrifice, they were charging them money, basically stealing from them that opportunity of being in the temple. And Jesus was righteously angered and turned over the tables and tried to set the people straight about what was happening. He also used that time when they confronted him about trying to destroy the temple to start sharing in a kind of oblique way that he was the temple, and that if he were crucified, if he were killed, he would be restored in three days. So he's begun early on starting to tell that message. And that's what the people had heard at Passover, that now they're kind of getting interested in him, and especially the regular people, not the, not the um, religious officials, but the regular people like you and I who are interested in what's going on here. So we hear... As he traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a government official nearby in Capernaum, whose son was very sick. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son, who was about to die. Now, first thing we have is these two city names, Cana and Capernaum. And they actually still exist today. Um, Cana is no longer just called Cana, it's Kafir Cana. I've practiced that pronunciation I don't know how many times, but I'm sure I got it wrong, so a little grace for me would be appreciated. The towns are still there. They're about 25 miles apart. According to Google Maps, it's a 35-minute drive. 
But in that day, it was about a three to four day walk to get from Capernaum down to Cana. So this government official has started on this walk. So that tells us something about the man. We um, Scholars believe that he was a Jewish man working in the uh, Roman government, which would have put him a little bit higher than other people, but also disliked by people because he was doing that work. It doesn't, the fact that um, he was Jewish or not doesn't really matter in the story, and that's why John doesn't really clarify. All we need to know is that he was a higher-placed, richer, more well-off government official. And the other thing we need to know is that he was a father. He's a father who's desperate for his son to be healed. He's watched his son get sicker and sicker, and now he's willing to leave his son's side, to leave his care in someone else's hands, and make this three-day journey to beg of Jesus, who he only knows by reputation, to come back and heal his son. He's willing to spend seven days completely out of touch. No way to get him a message. He doesn't know has his son gotten better? Is he continuing to decline? Has he died? But he's a father with so much love for his son, so much desperation that he's willing to make that trip in order to beg someone to come and heal him. So Jesus said to him, Will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? And you know, we read that and it's like, ooh, that's a little bit harsh. You know, this guy's never met you, Jesus. He doesn't know you. He doesn't just, by reputation, how could you be so mean? But what we don't see is that the word you there isn't just you like you, you, <laughs> that man. He's not talking one-on-one. -on -one. He's using you as a plural. So he's talking about you, all of you. All you all are asking for signs and miracles or else you won't believe him. And the father says, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. Now the father could have argued politics with him. Hey, I'm in the Roman government. You come do what I say. He could have argued, I've never met you before. I don't even know what you're doing. He could have done any of those things but he has too much love and concern for his son. He has no pride at this moment. All he has is desperation. Come and heal my son. He doesn't care what Jesus may have said to him or what people may think of him. It's just that love for his son. Come, come and heal him. And then Jesus tells him to go to go return home, that his son has been healed. And it says that the man believed and went on his way. So this man came based on nothing but desperation and rumors. He came to Jesus to ask him to come back. But by the time he has talked to Jesus and met Jesus and seen him face to face, now he begins to believe in this Jesus. So when Jesus tells him, go home, your son will live, he turns and he goes. And now we get to the miracle. While the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. 
He asked them when the boy had begun to get better, and they replied, yesterday afternoon at one o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. And then the father realized that that was the very time that Jesus had told him, your son will live. And he and his entire household believed in Jesus. So Jesus tells him to go. Three days walk, the guy starts heading this way. His servants start heading that way. They meet somewhere after about a day and a half, somewhere right in the middle. And the servants give him that good news. The fever's broken. Your son's going to live. And the man asks a question. And I think it's, I don't take it as lack of faith. I think it's pretty natural. When did it happen? And he realizes it was just as Jesus said those words. That's when it happened. Last week, Brian had shared a verse with us from John 20. And in John 20, he talks about how Jesus performed miracles and signs so that people would continue to believe. And I like that word, continue. These are people who have some belief, some faith, but they need a little something sometimes to continue. And doesn't that sound an awful lot like us? When we look at this miracle, we also see some things about Jesus. First, that he is gracious. It didn't matter to him that um, this was a, a foreign official. None of that mattered. He lovingly, graciously healed his son. But we also see something that's really startling, and that's how powerful Jesus is. He didn't need to go. He didn't need to be physically present. He didn't need to touch him. He didn't need to do any type of ceremony. He has the power to heal whatever the circumstance. Now, you might think to yourself, you know, I think there are some stories of miracles where Jesus did do something. And there are. But he never did them because his power needed augmenting. He did them for us so that we could learn more from that story. So, what does the story mean for me? Well, before I get there, I told you a story about my mom. Let me tell you a story about my dad. This was also a while back, probably about 25 years ago. My dad and my uh, brother Jim were out fishing. They were on Little Grassy Lake down in southern Illinois, and it was, um, they were done for the day. And they were uh, loading the boat onto the boat trailer, taking on home. My dad was standing on the boat trailer, and somehow he slipped and fell. And he landed hard on the cement boat ramp. And he was in terrible pain. So my brother finished everything up and loaded up dad, and they went to the emergency room. They took x-rays, and the doctors looked at them and said, you know, you're just banged up. That's all. It's okay. Just go home, put some ice on it, take some Tylenol. So dad went home, and over the next few days, his pain increased and increased. It hurt to stand. It hurt to sit. It hurt to lay. They contacted the doctors, and they said, well, we'll give you something a little stronger. And then they started a course of trying different medications. Now, my dad was in his 70s at the time and already on some other medications, and unfortunately, things that they gave him for the pain were interacting with those, and the situation was just going downhill fast. So I went one weekend to see my dad, and his pain was tremendous. His mobility was disappearing fast. And dad said to me, if I could will myself dead right now, I would. 
I cannot imagine living with this pain the rest of my life. And so I came home, and when I came home, as soon as I was in the door, I was on my knees. Now, I had been praying for Dad, of course, ever since he had been hurt, but those were like preschool prayers compared to the praying I was doing now after having seen him and talked to him, praying for his health, for his recovery, praying for him to be out of pain, whether that meant healing or that meant taking him home. I loved my dad too much to see him suffer like that. It was a hard prayer for me because I had no interest in losing my dad at that point. Well, a couple days later, my mom called and she said, you know, one of the doctors on his care team decided to take one more look at his x-rays. And when he took one more look at his x-rays, he saw what they had missed. My dad had a compression fracture in his spine. He had bone on bone all this time. He needed surgery, which they did. It was a long recovery, but he recovered and lived without pain. I had my dad with me for another 15 years. I call it a miracle. So, what does it mean for us? Jesus is gracious, and his gracious does not depend on my goodness. I don't have to work to earn it. I don't have to clean up my life first to receive it. His graciousness is because of his love. Nothing about me. The other is that he is powerful. God is not constrained by anything. He wasn't when he was on earth and certainly is not now in heaven. Remember that Jesus said something about asking for a sign? And we may look around our world and say, we don't see all these miracles happening anymore. And that's because we've had the sign. It's the sign that Truman talked about earlier today. We had the sign when Jesus went to the cross. He went there sinless and blameless and took on my sin so that I could be forgiven. Something no one else could do. No other person could go to the cross because they'd be going with their sins. They couldn't take mine. They were already piled up with their own. But Jesus had none. And so he could go to the cross and bear the consequences for my sins because he's gracious and loving. He's also powerful. So three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead. And in, he says about that, that he's the first fruits. He's the first. But it's an opportunity for all of us that God will powerfully raise us. And we'll have that opportunity for eternity in God's presence. Maybe you're at a point where you're wondering what it would be like to have that gracious love and that tremendous power in your life. What would that mean for you? How would that impact your life day to day? If that's something you want to learn about, there'll be people available here up front after service. If you have questions, comments, no question too small or too big, if you have them but this time's inconvenient, set up a meeting with us. Any of us would love to talk to you about that. Or maybe you're more like when John says, we need signs, we need help to continue. Maybe you've made that decision for Jesus, but you need prayer. You need answers to questions. You need support. 
I encourage you to do the same thing. Come to the front. We'd love to talk. We'd love to pray with you. When Jesus left this world, he left behind the Holy Spirit we sang about earlier, and he created the church so that we can care for each other and bring each other together into heaven. Would you pray with me? Father, I am so thankful that you hear your children's prayers. Prayers for candy and something good in a dark world. Prayers for those we love. Prayers for ourselves as we're struggling. You hear them all. And in your love, your kindness, and your wisdom, you answer those prayers. You answer them through scripture, through the people around us who are faithful to you, through knowledgeable pastors and teaching. I'm so grateful, God, that you love us enough that you didn't set the world going and move away, but you stayed here powerfully and lovingly to care for us. And God, I thank you for the people who have prayed me through hard times, answered my questions when I struggled. And for those who are here with any question, any concern, I pray you give them the courage to step out, ask those questions, ask a friend, get a Bible, and turn to your power and love. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Something else you can do this morning is if you have a prayer request, there are cards in the seats in front of you. Or if you're online, you can fill it out online. If you have prayer requests, you can fill them out. Drop them in the offering box or at the welcome desk. And we would love to be praying for those things for you. If you're new here and you'd like to fill out a card and take it to the merch table, we have a gift for you because we're excited. For every new person who comes in the door, we are excited to see you and to begin getting to know each other better. If you stand with me, we have a benediction this morning. Our benediction is a good word, something to take with you. It's that piece of candy in your hand that you can take with you the rest of the week. And it's from Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. Have a great day.